Welcome to the Space of the Waste, featuring host Melody Edmondson. Do you struggle with the right look to complement your body shape? Have you tried so many different looks and styles only to be disappointed time and again? You've landed on the right program. We'll show you how to make the right style work in your favor. Now, here is Melody Edmondson. Welcome to the Voice of America. This is your host, Melody Edmondson, here on Voice America, and we are on the Variety Channel. Thank you so much for tuning in our show today, The Space of the Waste, and we have our very special guest today, Marushka Vukovic Sunora. She is going to speak to us today about couture, haute couture, designer, and many other things. Um, I want you to know that you can listen to any episodes that you have not listened to on www.voiceamerica.com, and you can uh, just click on the various episodes that you are interested in listening to. They will be in the archive as podcasts, as will this show after our show today. I also want to make mention that you can go to the Pinterest boards on Pinterest under the space of the waste at any time. There are a number of boards by waist length, short waist, long waist, balance waist on how to dress according to your body shape and your waist length. So now I'm going to introduce Marushka and she is going to speak to us about her journey uh, and give a short history uh, about Bloomingdale's because she was the design American designer and couture and haute couture buyer there and she started off uh, doing her internship there and now let me welcome Marushka. Hello Marushka, welcome to the show. Thank you. Greetings to dear listeners of Voice of America Variety Show and to my gracious host Melody Edmondson. Thank you. Melody and I met in New York City while building merchandising and fashion buying careers for reputable retail organizations. I was fortunate enough to land an executive trainee job at Bloomingdale's, known as a store like no other, the most prestigious store for fashion in New York City, if not in the country at that time. Under leadership of legendary merchant and CEO Marvin Traub, way before internet, computers, and access to any kind of information on the on World Wide Web. The fashion magazines were the roadmaps for enthusiastic consumers, customers to follow up on the trends and looks. And Women's Wear Daily, the trade paper, was keeping us up to date and informed about what was happening and any of any importance in fashion industry. Getting accepted at Bloomingdale's training program was like winning lottery. If you made it there, your future in industry was guaranteed. The new trainees went through a very rigorous two-year training program before being trusted with handling demanding of running the multi-store business. We were not just selecting new garments for the stores. We had to learn merchandising, floor presentation, create buying plans, follow open to buy, and budgets, distribution, operations, etc. And possess a very strong sense of aesthetics and good taste. 
And finally, we had to make money for the store while buying new looks and sometimes very risky looking clothes. So that was a, a short overview of uh, my beginning at Bloomingdale's where Melody and I met and shared many wonderful moments. Yes, it was a great time in our lives. I want to ask you, Mariska, tell us what you bought for Bloomingdale's. What were the departments that you bought for? What were some of the uh, names of the designers that you bought? I think that would be interesting for our listeners. Well, there were many. There were many designers at that time. I bought designer dresses and sportswear. You know, uh, in the stores, you had sportswear dresses, juniors, Missy, young Missy. Uh, uh, my uh, uh, responsibility uh, was designer dresses and sportswear. And my, but my first buying job was Ellen Tracy Contemporary Young Missy Sportswear line. I'm sure our listeners, some of them will remember the beautiful garments made under that name. I bought that line for 14 stores and learned nuts and bolts of business. I worked closely with designer and owner of Ellen Tracy, and we created perfect mix of clothes for Upper East Side customer. Ellen Tracy at Bloomingdale's grew and we were an instant success. And as a result, I was promoted to be a designer buyer in another division of Bloomingdale's. Buying designer dresses and dresses separates was very different experience. You dealt with reputable, recognized and high maintenance name in, in the industry, domestic and foreign. All those designers, as you know, have wonderful tempers because usually it goes with creativity. Designer collection is being sometimes referred also as couture. For young up and coming designers to be showcased at Bloomingdale's was confirmation that they made it. And buyer was responsible for bringing in young talent. Some of you as designers I bought were St. John Knits, Nippon, Bill Blass, Oscar De La Renta, Mary McFadden, Michael Ketch, who did beautiful silk screens, all handmade, and many more. Some of European designers I bought, you will also, your listeners will recognize the names. Missoni, wonderful knitwear company from Milano. Fendi, Givenchy, Nina Ricci, Lanvin, Chanel, Jean-Louis Scherer, Karl Lagerfeld, Zandra Rhodes made a beautiful gowns. Uh, Princess of, of England wore it as her wedding dress and many others. The buying was done twice a year after the shows, usually more than six months in advance. That was a, um, the names uh, 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 that I was associated with at my uh, about eight, nine year tenure at Bloomingdale's. Can you uh, tell our listeners, Maruska, the difference between couture and haute couture and the difference between couture and designer and ready to wear? Because I don't think a lot of listeners know the difference. Well, it is confusing and it was confusing to me when I started because everything had the designer name and you thought that was it. And then there were names thrown around, ready to wear, designer, pre-a-porter. 
But basically, I think uh, I will try to uh, enlighten your listeners about three categories, designers, couture, and not couture, to really know the difference. Designers to start are, uh, the, uh, that name uh, means that the, uh, the clothing was designed by designer or design team and must produce all over the world made and sold through department stores and specialty stores and boutiques and, and designs were usually inspired by couture design. Couture designers also designed for secondary, secondary uh, uh, lines for the market. So in other words, you had designers designing clothes and then you had couture designers, which I will talk about uh, uh, right after that that were introducing their own lines under their own names. They were also called designers. Couture is designed and made to order completely by hand in workshops, ateliers in Europe, France, Italy, Spain, and later Asia. That is couture. In other words, it was made by hand and then sold in Europe uh, while designer was designed and then mass produced and shipped all over America to the stores ready to wear, unlike made to order by hand. And that brings us then to haute couture, which is workable art. The pieces made under couture are something that never even made it to American stores. Why? Because they were custom made, highest quality pieces, completely made by hand, usually one-of-a-kind pieces and made only in Paris ateliers or workshops because in order to be called haute couture, it has to be produced and made by hand in Paris. Pure decadence, up to 150 hours by team of seamstresses and tailors to create just one piece. Dying art for a very rich and affluent. That group of people that are customers of haute couture acts like a, functions like a private club. It is by invitation and introduction only. You cannot walk to any of those ateliers and just say, I want to buy a dress. You have to be invited. And today I am told, I don't know if it's true or not, the number of customers are about only 200 you, worldwide. Usually, when they come for the couture shows to Paris, they stay at Hotel Ritz, a known hotel in Place Vendôme, and while they attend those shows, which are, of course, only by invitation. Pieces can cost up to $100,000. A blouse can cost $30,000. Because uh, as, as crazy as this sounds, it is the best of the best quality, the finest silks, the finest cashmeres, the finest hand embroidery. The collections are shown at the lavish fashion shows and are marketing tools, presenting ideas that, uh, and then customize for those VIP customers. In other words, when you see these very lavish shows, uh, uh, nobody will wear what's on, on that runway. It will be absolutely adopted for a, for a person that can afford it. And then uh, show it uh, at their uh, events, whatever their, wherever their life takes them. After the shows are done, 
shopping starts and ordering takes place at designer ateliers. Very skinny ladies, usually very skinny ladies, can even buy a modern size at a discount price. Imagine something that costs $50,000, $60,000, they can buy it for $40,000, big discount. And um, the names that you will also recognize that make couture are Chanel, Dior, Balenciaga, Givenchy, Yves Saint Laurent, Jean-Paul Gaultier, Lanvin, Jean-Louis Scherer, Ungaro, Nina Ricci, just to name some, name some of the most known ones. There are smaller mm. couturiers that have very exclusive clientele, but I think our American customers will recognize these. And of course, uh, like I said, uh, haute couture had to be, um, has to be produced and made by hand in Paris. But I think uh, there was an agreement and in, in, in Italian designers, Valentino, Armani are also part of the group. So that's, that is that. Wow, that is so interesting. I read somewhere that if you weren't listed by the French government, uh, they have a list of haute couture and you, that's the big deal when they give you the stamp that you are that. Uh, then you were really haute couture, but that some, is correct. That is yep, absolutely it's correct. It's almost like a legal thing almost. Yes. But uh, let me ask you this. How did you even get started in uh, wanting to be a buyer? And when you did go to college, uh, I know you majored in uh, something different like anthropology and uh, philosophy. And then you found your way into the couture and I have have a feeling it had something to do with your mama. <laughs> <laughs> well, mamas, what would we do with our mamas? Absolutely. They're everything. <laughs> most, most important, most important influence for every girl is exactly without them, I don't know what would happen. For me, it was also uh, at very early childhood. Um, uh, uh, the inf infatuation started because my mother was a dressmaker. Uh, living in Eastern Europe, lack of good goods was a norm. You couldn't buy anything ready-made at, at, at the price of Gap or H&M. Uh, it was different times. You uh, were not uh, uh, rich enough to buy uh, uh, something inexpensive. It had to last. It has to be uh, even handed down to your uh, uh, younger sister. So everything was made by hand. My mother was a master at it. She knitted, she sewed, she, she made uh, textiles. So I was very fortunate to, to have such a, a, a multifaceted, mm -hmm. talented mom. Wow, she made fabrics? Oh my God. Yes, she did. She made fabrics and, and they made uh, sheets and pillowcases from it. My grandmother would embroider. So I watched this as a very young child. And what, uh, what later on, for lack of, lack of finance, my mother made clothes for well-to-do wives of communist ruling class. Although they preached equality, they wore the best handmade clothes. My mother would take a measurements, cut the fabric, had a couple of fittings and made garments all from scratch. The bodies, the bodies were a little plump and not trimmed like US ladies. 
And mother must have been very good to make all this work because they were all repeat customers. <laughs> she worked well into the night, bent over the singer machine. My job was finishing by hand inside seams and buttonholes. Wow. What a job you can imagine. <laughs> I didn't like very much that part of dressmaking, but creating the dress from scratch was very cool. I love beautiful textiles, especially print silks for summer and spring dresses. Wool tweeds, mother used to make copies of Chanel suits and coats. But especially beautiful were special occasion dresses inspired by Dior, copied from magazines. You had to be very good to pull this off, to see the picture in the magazine and then copy the suit whether it's Chanel suit or a puffy skirt Dior dress made out of beautiful silk. Ah, oh, gorgeous. Just luxury. I'm sure your taste level escalated through the years with all those gorgeous fabrics. To me, it all starts with the fabric. Yes, you have an idea, uh, or, or you can have an idea and then find the fabric. But, but to me, I just love the fabrics anyway. Just love beautiful fabrics. Well, fabrics are the beginning of everything. You see the fabric, you hold it in your hand, you, you get the texture, uh, uh, you feel for it, and then you come up with idea, what would this, you know, when you uh, drape it over uh, me, a model, or my sister, you can, you can kind of get an idea what would this lend itself uh, uh, yes. best. And um, I must say that magazines were crucial looking at the pictures in the magazine, whether it was the famous actress Brigitte Bardot in a beautiful Chanel suit or, or another uh, uh, celebrity, one would, or models at that time, you know, models were uh, uh, at that time very important. Nowadays, we have all the celebrities are showing the clothes. At that time, no, models were models and they were, that was their job. Uh, and the pictures in the magazines were absolutely beautiful, beautifully styled. And then looking at the photos, mom would uh, then uh, adopt them to create a suit or a coat for her customers uh, or a dress. Uh, you know, the mm -hmm. prom dresses uh, were very important. Uh, young girls would save money. The family would save money to make that one dress that would be very special when the girls were going for a dance. I'm sure you had the best dresses, you and your sisters. Oh, my gosh. And I'll tell you something. My little room, which I shared with my two sisters, Antonia and Rose, we cut those magazine pictures and we used them as a wallpaper. Our room was from floor to ceiling. It was all pictures from the magazine. In I Paris. love it. It I love was it. amazing. I lived inside a fashion magazine. Oh my gosh. But and I don't think you could buy something real inexpensive in these poly cheap fabrics after having such an education with those beautiful silks and the hand of those uh, luxurious fabrics are so different than the hand of a lot of the cheap crap out there today. It just, and it doesn't breathe when you put it on your body with all the plastic and whatnot in it. I mean, I find I still love natural fabrics. Now I know polyester isn't polyester. There are different grades and there are some much finer ones today. That's correct. Uh, how do you find out what's what? I mean, I'm, it's a sea of 
of uh, craziness out there, knowing what is a nice fake fabric, so to speak. And uh, the other thing I want to talk about that, the fake fabric, how do you find a good poly? Or is there such thing as a good fake fabric or a good polyester? But the other thing is, <clears throat> I think I want to make a big deal to the listeners about how all of the other clothes that you buy, whether you go to Ross's, 2J Maxx, Marshall's, JC, Penny, Macy's, and you're not in a uh, designer or couture department, you are buying ideas that started with either Haute Couture or Couture and the higher end designers, and then it trickles down. They, they adapt the shape or the silhouette to a more saleable version. I remember when I was in uh, Paris with my friend Michelle Granger, Dr. Michelle Granger, who was there, a teach, a professor and the head of the department there in uh, uh, Southern Missouri, and she in Springfield, Missouri, and she, and she and I together pooled our money so she could buy this fabulous Levant dress, and it had the great big huge pointy collars, and I loved it on her, but. The pads, you could redo, you could take them out. So if you didn't want to have them so high, you, you didn't. And uh, she said a lot of times in Springfield, she didn't wear them. But when she went to Kansas City or she went to Paris or L.A. or somewhere in New York, she'd put the pads back in. But she had that dress for many years. And I think probably people knocked that Levant dress off and didn't have the points, you know, because that's kind of typical of how to get it down into ready wear at, you know, a hundred dollar dress or less for the masses. You uh, are absolutely right, Melody. The fabrics uh, are uh, important, but I will bring another point also for your listeners. And that's where you come in. The fit is equally important if not, uh, 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 fabric and fit go hand in hand. Someone who has had a garment made for them to their body shape and to their body uh, uh, will know the difference. It feels like a second skin and it fits. It doesn't pull under armholes. It's not the wrong length. It doesn't have a color that, 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 that goes the wrong way. When you measure your body, and when you cut the fabric uh, uh, and make that uh, uh, garment to fit your body type, it's entirely different experience. Absolutely. And I'm sure when you worked in uh, at Bloomingdale's and had, I'm sure some of the clients knew you personally and wanted to know uh, what would be good for their body shape. And I'm sure you... Uh, begin to notice your dresses that and sportswear that were selling and those that uh, you had to have a very, very good hourglass uh, figure with a balanced waist in order to wear that dress because otherwise if you were long-waisted, the waist wouldn't fit properly because it would be up too high on the woman and not all the way down to her waist. Or if the woman was short-waisted, she needed a totally different silhouette altogether, one that didn't have a big seam across the waist or a belt at the waist. Dear Melody, we couldn't do anything. Uh, in department, uh, one of the departments, I was 
uh, running was called Place Elegant, play, uh, Elegant Place. We couldn't, of course, I would have all the celebrity come in and we they would be buying their dresses and gowns and uh, sportswear or what, what have you. I couldn't do any of this without having a very uh, a knowledgeable seamstress, team of seamstresses. We had a seamstress department and when I would have, we would have fitting, the, the client would come and we would put the dress on and then let's go. Is it an hourglass body? Is it an inverted triangle? Is it square? Then the seamstress would have to take that very expensive dress and make it fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was nothing without uh, uh, having a, a knowledgeable person who understands the body and the shapes to make the garment look good. Yes, I remember um, when I bought a Chanel jacket once and I only bought that one. I was at Neiman Marcus uh, in New York. Um, white, I think it was in White Plains, that mall there. And <clears throat> I, I was going to... Um, a very important wedding. And I decided to wear this tuxedo outfit. And when I called the seamstress up, I told her I wanted to adjust the jacket a little bit because uh, uh, I was kind of between two sizes, but I decided to get the bigger one because then she could uh, you know, style it a little different. But she came up and she says, well, I really hate to touch this because of the way that it's cut, but because you are short-waisted and this is uh, hitting you in the wrong place, we're going to ease out the seam and make it straighter. Because even if I nip it in where you nip in, if you look in the mirror, that isn't gonna flatter your figure. So what we're going to do is take this beautiful Chanel jacket and make it a little straighter. So that's what she did and I loved it. And I could tell she really didn't want me to buy it, I didn't think, but um, the girl that was with me said, of course she wanted you to buy it. She just wishes that you had a little bit longer waist. And I go, well, that's not going to happen. But you know what? It looked beautiful. And I never buttoned the coat anyway. I left it open and with a tuxedo pants, a wider leg pants, uh, there really, really were. It was just my favorite outfit. And I even had my mother wore it for one of her high school reunions. And it was, she looked absolutely fabulous in it because we were exactly the same site. And actually she looked better in it because she's more classic beauty. Your mother is absolutely beautiful, beautiful, elegant woman. I know where you get your love for fashion. And And her mother as well. Her mother was very, very, she did like your mom. She knitted and crocheted also. It, it, in addition to sewing, my mother didn't cr- uh, crochet or knit, but she did sew. And so she did sew for us for all of our uh, special occasions in college. It, here would come a box and she kept up in all the fashion. She knew her body. She could just cut and sew without a pattern for all of her children's bodies, me, Kathy and Penny. And these ensembles were just Absolutely beautiful. And I remember this one girl, I've talked about it before, Debbie, Debbie Nichols, she'll remember. She, of course, was taller and leaner and was a dancer. And she was in a best dress contest and she won wearing my clothes. So it was really fun watching her wear them. She looked amazing. And I was a little too shy and uh, 
didn't walk near as beautifully as she did and nor was I as tall and she uh, I get let her select her clothes first so it was an interesting thing to happen um, I want to know also uh, about I know you've done a lot of other things but I wanted one more thing that really interested me because I remember it is when you opened up another department at Bloomingdale's that was kind of cutting edge designers you believed in were going to be a big deal later or were very unique. And I remember, I can't remember the names of the designers, but I remember it was right kind of out front and center of uh, a, your floor at Bloomingdale's and you, and you brought, walked me over and said, I want you to see something new that I'm doing. And they were so interesting, just very, very interesting silhouettes and styles and rather avant-garde, you know, not so, because, you know, chic, uh, Chanel was very chic at that time. And most of the couture and designer, uh, you know, Hocature was very chic and sophisticated and somewhat conservative, but this department was very avant-garde. And I, of course, loved it. <laughs> Couldn't afford it, but it was beautiful. <laughs> well, there were so many names, Melody. I, I can't tell you, um, most of them didn't survive because you had a, almost like a laboratory of new designs of young, young folk that were <laughs> coming out of the design schools or they were just trying to sell a t-shirt yes. t-shirt with a message on it mm -hmm. you know we, we would uh, at the moment sell hundreds of them and then the person would either make it in business or completely disappear uh, that was really what Bloomingdale's was known for uh, introducing new cut yeah. age uh, mm -hmm. um, someone who had to say something but Many of them uh, uh, um, didn't, uh, unless they, unless they uh, 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 turned commercial, couldn't yes. support the business just by uh, show, giving you the message of what they are all about. Yes. And uh, uh, that was interesting. It was almost revolving door, one season in, the other season out. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, it was something that made Bloomingdale special because everybody uh, uh, would come that came to New York had to go to Bloomingdale. Oh, absolutely. We were required to. When I was a buyer, I was required to go to Bloomingdale's. Your windows were just absolutely drop dead. And you, we had to go, we had to shop, and we had to make lists uh, in our departments. What were labels that I didn't have that I thought were great? Then we were asked to do once one or two steps up from our department and try and write down what we saw as a direction coming from those people. And I remember going and seeing labels, like for instance, Bloomingdale's had the first Kate Spade bag ever. Bloomingdale's had Stephen Sprouse before anybody else. Bloomingdale's had Mark Jacobs before anybody else. Mark Jacobs was- Perry no Ellis, Perry Ellis. Perry Ellis, yes. Yeah. Everybody, uh, no, Perry had been a merchandise manager down south somewhere before he became a designer. And I remember Mark Jacobs had been at a Charlotte Ford and 
I remember uh, you and I, we all went out for dinner one night and you said, you're going to watch him. He's not going to be there for long because he is something special. And before you know it, there was Mark Jacobs with his own line and everything and no longer. Let's not, let's not forget uh, Ralph Lauren. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Ralph. Ralph started with his ties and then it was the rest is history. I mean, you, you got an opportunity. Uh, and, and then you ran with it. But you see that the point I'm trying to make is Ralph did not go avant-garde. He always stayed uh, close to achievable Colleg fantasy, let's yeah. say. Collegiate sort of, yeah. That, that landed itself to American lifestyle or lifestyle to aspire to. Yes, yes, yes. Therefore, I... people relate to it and they bought his, his clothes. I mean, he was amazing. Absolutely. It's his, his collection. But I'll tell you, after I finished high school and went to university, I thought that was the end of my involvement with all of this. Mm -hmm. Custom made clothes and fashion. I kind of said, okay, that's for mom to do. I am going to a greener pastures. <laughs> You're going to help the world and go dig up. Exactly. Uh, I never thought I would. Civilizations from the past. That's <laughs> right. I never thought that it will come in handy to have known ins and outs of making clothes. And uh, um, it's interesting how life leads us in. Yes, a you probably. <laughs> I think you finally got to America and said, these people don't know one thing about construction and what goes into this. I need to lend my knowledge. They need my help. That's what I think happened. But maybe you had a job and um, your archaeology and you miss the buzz of everything new, every few minutes, everything new. Maybe, maybe you well, missed. Well, 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 well. You know, after uh, uh, I spent time in academia and studying and cultural anthropology, languages, and so on, writing. I love to write and 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 read. One thing is, when I came to America, I, I thought I would go to Columbia University. I went there and I applied, and then at the same time, I was I was purely by by accident. Uh, uh, found out about this executive training program in Bloomingdale's and I forgot about academia and studying <laughs> and going to Peru to study cultures of, of Aymara and Quechua Indians, which I uh, very much was interested in, Mesoamerica and, and South America, Incas and, and so on. Uh, wow. I gave it all up. I even dabbed in learning Spanish. So I loved Spanish language nowadays. I also said I might take a course in it. <laughs> so um, I gave that all up and I started in something that I had no clue. I absolutely had known nothing about uh, 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 how to run the business, what business, because, you know, being at Bloomingdale's on training program, it was not just about selecting the clothes. Mm -hmm. You had to know the business part. You had yeah. to know assortment plans, buying plans. You have to know how to present it on the floor, how to buy for multi-store, uh, uh, multi-stores. You know, Bloomingdale's at that time had 14 stores. You know, New York store was just a showcase for the line, but then every other store had to have it. And remember that was before computers. 
I did everything by hand with a little calculator. And I was not a business major in school. So I think that what's most, uh, uh, most interesting is we send kids to school, they study this, that, and the other. But what really happens is uh, with all my education, I've learned on the job how to create business, run business, and run with it. It is the most amazing thing. America is a, a place like no other. People forget what a wonderful country we live in. Oh, Sometimes. <laughs> but let's not go there. I love that. I was absolutely infatuated and mesmerized with opportunities, with what one can do. But I'll, let me not kid yourself. Work was absolutely unbelievable. We worked two wee hours. We were in the store at seven. We left at nine. We worked very, very hard. Yes. Yes. 16, 18, 20 hour days. And you spoke a lot of languages that had to help you also, but you were calling the other countries in the wee hours of the night because it's morning their time and you're speaking in their language and then back and then Oh my gosh. But what was wonderful also, once you, once you, and you know, in your buying uh, 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 job, uh, I hate to call it a job, but it was a job. It was a wonderful job. It was career in which we, we were building by having certain job. And uh, what is uh, wonderful for you and for me was at the time that it absolutely led to other opportunities. Once you have made it at one of those organizations, it was carte blanche. It was an mm -hmm. open ticket to whatever you wanted to do in the industry. Whether you wanted to transfer to furniture, whether you wanted to transfer to decorating or any other uh, uh, aspect of, of, of merchandising, you could do it. Yes. Tell me, you, you did quite a few other things after you left. Bloomingdale's. I know you had your child and took some time off, but then you went back into other industries. And tell us some of the, uh, we have about, um, you know, we've got about 14 minutes left. I, I'd really love to hear a little bit about that. Well, I'll tell you, after I left Bloomingdale's uh, at, at uh, mid 80s, early 80s, uh, the new trend uh, was happening. Designers were branching out from, from department stores and specialty stores, and they were opening their own retail units, boutiques, flagship stores. And Bloomingdale's experience was a great advantage. We were absolutely being uh, considered for those jobs. And I landed a job and, and was hired to open a flagship store for Bogner, German high fashion ski apparel company. Bogner was family owned and based in Munich. Skiver of choice for very affluent who ski on slopes of Europe and US. The ski slopes of Dale, Aspen, Deer Valley, etc. are playgrounds of world's elites, Hollywood, Wall Street, and they prefer Bogner. I was hired as a director, vice president to develop retail division for US. And under my leadership, we opened five stores, starting with New York City flagship store on prestigious Madison Avenue, which is very interesting, Melody, because these were the same customers I had in Bloomingdale's. Exactly. In this is the lifestyle. Yes, absolutely. And it was, it was uh, you know, the, the 
I don't uh, have to tell you who the clientele was from, from uh, Diana Ross. I don't want to mention too many names to the Kennedy family. And, you know, I worked with all these people because they want very special attention. And uh, again, I had great uh, uh, team of fitters who were making all this fit and, and it worked out and the business absolutely went through the roof. But then you had your black book. You had your little black book. I had <laughs> My little big black book. But then what happened was, you know, I was in my mid-30s and I needed uh, uh, also private life because this type of, of work is consuming. It is that mm -hmm. you cannot be a little bit in it. You had to go all the way in. And right. I met a wonderful man from the entertainment industry. We got married, had a baby, and I took time off from fashion, from everything else and started back in a few years later by consulting. And uh, I consulted companies from Europe mainly and, and uh, in helping them open the stores in, in uh, New York City. And one of those companies introduced me to my new love and passion and that's crystal. Crystal. I absolutely, crystal sculptures and, and crystal tabletop objects and so on which led, led to my last job, which I will call job and career in, in uh, buying and, and merchandising, was uh, to Stuben Crystal. Stuben, yes. Yes, I absolutely uh, uh, can't tell you, we don't have enough time, uh, maybe some other time in the future, we can have a little bit more uh, um, time to talk about that amazing company. Uh, we would need the whole hour. Just a short overview, Stuben is an American company more than 100 years old and was a gift wow. bearer of choice that White House chose to give to foreign dignitaries when they mm -hmm. came for a visit or when they went to, to other countries. The product is entirely made by hand in Corning, New York. After company was sold, I retired. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, uh, after my retirement, I discovered that I cannot be completely out. The child was uh, uh, not a child anymore. She was a young woman in her own uh, uh, life, uh, married. I said, what do I do with, with my time? And um, I was planning to open a vintage shop. Yes. Vintage oh. designer and I still think you should. I still think you should. Well, listen, I... Uh, I was hoping that would be something that I can pull off and I was able to, but things beyond our control happened in my life and I had to give up the idea. But I did spend a couple of years on a, on a, on a hunt in the thrift shop and, and the flea markets and I found the most magnificent pieces that landed themselves back to the old times when I liked quality and I still love quality. and and beautiful gowns dresses i will give you an example share yes yeah, share some of the I things bought, you found i one of my biggest fund that i absolutely uh, uh brag about was lanvan couture oh. gown that oh. i bought for nine dollars in one in i think oh my in, god in a goodwill shop it was listed at first dibs for $2,800. Oh my gosh. 
So anyway, I will. Tell no, it's Lanvan, not Lavan. Lanvan. It Lanvan. was okay. beautiful, beautiful gown, and I gifted it to my friends when I, to my dear friend when I uh, gave up the idea of of opening a shop, and many other beautiful finds. Mary McFadden, you know, they were building oh, gowns. Gorgeous. Oscar I de la Renta did these magnificent uh, embroideries. I had. I had about 50 garments. There was <gasps> one more beautiful than the other. Oh, my God. Well, this is all gone. And now I have a new passion. Okay. I got myself into uh, 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 gardening. Okay. And decorating. I love to create a beautiful living environment. And um, it is always nice and helpful to know what's beautiful what what lends itself to a certain part in the house what makes a house a home yes and uh i uh, uh, how the person that dresses certain well their home is reflection of who they are not only what uh, dress they put on but what kind of sofa they have what kind of a beautiful was they put on their mantle so i don't know that that is something that that absolutely uh, uh, took my interest yes. and I also improved my cooking skills and <laughs> who knows someday I may even take sewing lessons and pattern making because computers make it easy there are computers that can help you create a pattern and uh, I may do it absolutely I, I don't think you're finished yet because you have <laughs> too many fabulous ideas and I know you've collected some beautiful antiques and uh, crystal for your own home. And yes. I'm sure on your little hunts out there, you've uh, gathered up quite a lot of beautiful things. Well, last week, I'll tell you, uh, I was uh, in, in one of the stores and I found Stuben vintage glasses. They are oh. made by famous designer uh, Thompson and they are, Again, on first dibs that are listed for those 12 glasses, I would have to pay $2,800. Oh I paid God. 59 cents for each. Oh, my God. This is so passionate. This is a passion. I, I, I am absolutely. And you know when you see it. Oh, my gosh. I that is fantastic. Believe, I couldn't believe Melody ever sitting on the shelf. I said, I can't believe. And I said, oh, my God, nobody should touch them. Then don't chip them. Don't chip them. And I bought them. <laughs> Maybe you should become personal shopper for uh, interior uh, unique pieces. Maybe that would be a fun thing to do. I know a lot of uh, uh, interior designers like to find these special pieces, but if they're young and they're trying to support their family on their job, they don't have time to go out and find the unique pieces. You know, I've talked to a few people. Do you have, do you have? And they say, well, I wish I had time to go look, but I really don't have time. Do you know what's very fashionable for millennials now, what they are collecting as a very special piece? You're going to die. It's piece of corning casserole, casserole dishes from corning. corning. Oh, my gosh. I mean, my mother had those. Don't throw them out. They are very, very price, pricey. I think like my that. mother had them and probably offered them to me. And I said, no, <laughs> you know? But I remember them. They had the green or the white. With Mother had the white with the blue flowers. flowers. I think our neighbor had green, you know. And one thing about growing up 
when I did a lot of the neighbors, they baked a lot, you know, so we were the beneficiaries of pies and cakes and breads from, you know, a neighbor would get busy baking. And I always thought, well, someday I'm going to do that. Someday I'm going to do that. Well, guess what? I, I have haven't done it yet. I have a great recipe for you. Breaking a bread in, in corning casserole uh, uh, without having to uh, uh, be a baker and it comes out every time perfect. Oh, yeah, I totally would need that because I'm certainly not a baker. Well, um, dear Melody, I would love to thank you for this opportunity and I would like to thank listeners of Voice of America for tuning in and uh, continue to tuning in because it's a yes. wonderful program and uh, good luck. Thank you. And thank you so much for being on our show today. I want to thank everyone for being on the Voice of America, the Variety Channel, tuning into us today and having this marvelous opportunity with Marushka Vukovic Sonora and teaching. It was really a learning experience today. I learned a lot about couture and haute couture and designer uh, and and European designers and American designers. And I only got so far as I bought junior, contemporary junior and American designers. So I always thought the, and new designers, but I always thought I always had a special place for couture and haute couture. So now I, now I even know more about that than I did before. But this is your host, Melody Edmondson. Please tune in with us again next week. Uh, we will have, uh, let's see, we will have next week, Joanne uh, Ross Wells. She will be on to talk about her wedding gowns. So I thought this would be a good entree for wedding gowns. Thank you, Marushka. And we were signing off and we'll see you on April the 19th. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Space of the Waste. Please join host Melody Edmondson again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you next time.